0: Welcome to Western Reaches. This is a Tashi Station podcast about all the geeky things that Staff and I are up to. I'm Megan Krause. I'm here with my co-host, Saf.
1: Hello.
0: And we have a lot of Star Wars news to talk about today. Um, Rogue One dropped. We have been talking about Rogue One all over the internet, I'm sure. Saf, you've been <laughs> on a couple of podcasts, right? Yeah, yeah, and, I have. Uh, yep, and I was on... Blaster Cannon, which is Den of Geeks podcast, talking about our opinions about Rogue One. So we're going to do something a little different for our main topic this week and talk about sort of Rogue One a week or so in, you know, what do we think now? And how does it compare to some of our our favorite media? Because we are uniquely suited to have the is Rogue One the Halo Reach of Star Wars conversation.
1: (laughs) I love that so much. It's,
0: I am incredibly ready for it. (laughs) So um but unfortunately before we get to our topics we we do have some very sad news um we wanted to acknowledge the passing of Carrie Fisher and Richard Adams the author of Watership Down um obviously Carrie Fisher means a lot to us to the Star Wars community i've never met her but she's done so much as an actress as a writer and as a spokesperson for uh topics of mental health I'm still processing what it means to lose one of the heroes of the original trilogy. It's uh, It's been a difficult day for various reasons, Um, but I wanted to just sort of wish the best to her family and to all the fans who knew her in our own way.
1: That was honestly beautiful. But yeah, yeah, she was an amazing person and... I think this world is a little sadder without her.
0: Absolutely. We will miss her emoji tweets. We will miss her uh, surprise appearances at red carpets. <laughs> and I think all of us are a little better for having the Princess Leia figure to look up to. So I I don't think we're going to spend much time talking about that. But I think it's something that... the. Brought the Star Wars community together over, you know, in sort of in the worst possible way. It's hard to lose someone who's been a hero for a lot of people. So that's, um, that happened. And there's no clean conclusion to that. So we're going to go on and, and talk about the things we do. Um, which I think Carrie Fisher would approve of, right? She's so much about living your life fully and living it the way you want to.
1: Yeah, she'd want she'd want everyone to keep doing the best they can.
0: Yeah, and I know other people have a lot more personal connections to her than I do, so I'm gonna gonna leave it there, but. We, uh, so I had interesting things in the writing world this week. Actually, on, on the 18th, um, I took a writing, a fiction class with Kat Rambo, who is an author that I'm not really familiar with, but I was drawn to this particular class because she had Anne Leckie talking about writing space opera. So you guys probably know that Anne Leckie is one of my favorite authors. So I got to, uh, Google chat with her for about three hours oh a couple goodness. weekends ago and uh, it was amazing and I didn't tell staff in advance because I wanted to hear your reaction
1: it <laughs> <That> is amazing
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was really good and actually if, if you also want to take a class of Anne lucky there might be more available cat Rambo does these fiction classes every once in a while they're not cheap but it was sort of my Christmas present to myself and um, it was it was very valuable I think. Um, I was able to ask her a little bit about my, like, personal projects, which was amazing. Um, so I don't have the website in front of me right now because my browser crashed. But if you look up Kat Rambo, she hosts these fiction writing websites.
1: That's awesome. Did uh, you say it helped a lot with um your own stuff?
0: In a way, it did. It helped with perspective. Um, this class was interesting because I think it was a lot of people who were... Uh, there was a wide range of experience, basically. so it was some people who had our own fiction projects and were very immersed in the world of like contemporary space opera and then there were some people who hadn't really worked in the genre before. so there were a lot of audience questions of very different different scopes. It was a very wide range in class. it's probably the the Best way I can describe it. And I can now say that And Leckie gave me sage wisdom, which was add more explosions.
1: So <laughs> I will take that into account. <laughs> it sounds pretty good for a space opera.
0: Yes. <laughs> so I have a bunch of books I read this week, but I've been talking too much, so I'm going to make staff start. Um, what books have you been reading this week?
1: Um,. So I finally finished Catalyst, which I did start I think I started that ages ago. But I finally finished it. Um I think I liked it a lot. I think I liked what Luceno did with um Lyra, who I love so much even though she gets no time in the movie whatsoever. And I think it was just it was a really good book, and it added so much to Rogue One. Um watching the movie again after having read the entire thing added more to it, but I don't think the movie necessarily also Needs the book to be understood because I watched the movie without reading the book. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good book. I, Lucino, he's got, he's got a pretty solid style. I'm not always a fan of it, but I liked it once I got past the whole earlier parts of the book where there was a lot of exposition, I think.
0: It seems significant that we got so much of Lyra in the book, now that we know how to pronounce her name as well, um, <laughs> because there there wasn't much of her in the movie, so it made me appreciate what they did with her in the book.
1: Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that, um, because I do love her a lot, and she's such a strong character in the book, you can see how much she fights for what she wants and how big of an influence she is on Galen uh, within the movie and the book. And apparently, I haven't read the novelization, I haven't even gotten it yet, but apparently that has, um, quite a lot of her, or it has more of her than the movie does, and it actually has her being an influence on Jin, um, which I am happy that Alex Freed was like, yeah, I'm gonna give this lady more time.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, there's a little bit more with her, there's scenes that, as I mean, as in the movie, scenes that match with Catalyst very well, and, The other thing the novel did is what exactly what I hoped it would do, which was sort of uh, stealthily add more female characters. So there's just random female soldiers and there's female stormtroopers and Alex Freed just kind of snuck more women into the book, which is one of the things I hoped would happen.
1: Man, I love that guy.
0: Yeah, there's a. I've really appreciated that novel. I've read it, uh, read it once, and then like flipped through it several times because I enjoyed it a lot. So I think you will like it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to give it a go. Um, I also just finished today. Do Android stream of electric sheep, um, which I've been meaning to read for forever. And now that I've read it, I understand why people keep asking me if I'm influenced by that book with my own writing because. Um, a lot of stuff in it is stuff that I've act- like I've put in my own stuff without knowing that it was in that book.
0: Huh. Um
1: which was really it was interesting reading it. It's definitely an older sci-fi book. And also because I saw Blade Runner before I read this book, obviously. Um seeing how many liberties they took with that movie was interesting.
0: I read it a long time ago, but I barely remember it. I know on Twitter you were posting some of the pulpier, pulpier <laughs> lines. Did you like the writing in general?
1: Yeah, I think in general the writing was really good. Um, it was just that some some parts were a bit, yeah, pulpy <laughs> and a bit um, distressing sometimes. Um, distressing? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, because there was a the line about, like, revealing her cold loins or something, and I, w- I read that and I was like, I regret everything that's led me to this point in my life right now um <laughs> yeah. i just picture you just sitting there like yikes yep that's pretty much exactly what was happening um <laughs> yeah no the writing was really good and i think the points he was making in the book were really interesting and i feel like the movie actually missed a lot of what the book was trying to say about the androids um i want to read more of philip Dick stuff because i keep being told how much i like it and i did like this book a lot uh I I just I love Android so much and I like that um like the character Rachel in the book she's such a interesting kind of spiteful character compared to the kind of useless depressed lady we get in the movie
0: Interesting so she's more driven
1: Yeah she's more like she's she's got her own agenda for what she's doing and she is kind of awful but she's also like she acknowledges that she's an android as opposed to in the movie she's sort of like upset about the whole thing
0: i like that it sounds like it takes the androids and sort of deepens them a little bit because i I liked the movie but it almost you didn't see much from their point of view per se
1: yeah it definitely kind of it shows them very much as like they are people without empathy they're very intelligent and they don't have empathy and it, it makes it quite clear but then it also kind of shows that humans can be the same um or that humans can have empathy for these androids despite that fact and i think showing that kind of like gray area between the like with empathy with both humans and androids was really interesting because there is a lot of the idea and in, in fiction that you know you've got a robot and because they're a robot they don't have empathy and so they're worse than humans or something like that um or that, that humans are worse than them for that reason. But then this book kind of shows that they have a lot of similarities, even if the robots, the androids themselves, can't actually feel empathy because they haven't been programmed to. Um, but it also has this point that like the people creating the androids are constantly trying to make them better and make them more like humans so that they will pass the tests that they're given to see if they're androids. And I thought that was interesting, too, because they know what these androids, like, that the androids kill people to escape the colonies and get back to Earth, and they're still like, no, we have to make them better, we have to make them more human. And I thought that was really cool. It's not really touched on much in the book, but um, the idea that they wanted them to be more human, even though they know the danger they can pose, was interesting.
0: Huh. So it's really blurring the distinction between humans and robots created to be human which I suppose is the whole point but it sounds like the book just is gets directly at it a little more
1: yeah and it's not ambiguous at all about Rick not being an android it's very much saying that he is a human which I think works better for him having the empathy for the androids because if he was just an android himself then it's like he's got empathy for his own kind or something like that in the in the movie it's very ambiguous um and even in some cuts it's like yes he's an android as opposed to other cuts um, but in the book, yeah it's it's very much he's a human and that's half of his struggle is that he knows he's human and he's still feeling like he doesn't want to kill these androids like they deserve to live and I think that struggle works really well.
0: Oh interesting. yeah, I think that makes a different but equally compelling point about without the twist the the mess about empathy works a little clearer.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I definitely like the book more than I like the movie. I think that's also helped by the fact that it's not a really old movie.
0: Yeah, there's no... uh, The aesthetic is a little different.
1: Yeah. Although
0: I do love the Blade Runner aesthetic.
1: The aesthetic is so good. Also, I did not expect there to actually be electric sheep in this book. I thought it was just like a play on, you know, when you go to sleep and you count sheep. I thought it was a play on that or something. I didn't realize that Rick would actually have an electric sheep. Oh, yeah, they have pets, right? Is yeah, that what it is? Yeah, it's a really big part of it, I guess, because the pets are empathy. Like, they have empathy for the pets. Um, yeah, that was that – was. I didn't know what to expect from this book, really. All I knew about it was what I'd seen in Blade Runner, and it was quite different from what I expected, and I liked that.
0: Cool. I uh, I read one that – actually, I've been <laughs> reading it since, like, the fall and kept putting it down – that I was thinking about when you were talking about this, because I wonder if it's unfilmable. Um, I just finished The Three-Body Problem by Sixin Liu, which I may be pronouncing wrong, so I apologize. Um, I think that's how you say the the first name. But it was a well-known science fiction... Uh, uh, excuse me. Chinese science fiction series It's the first book of several. And it got high praise in China, and then was translated to the U.S., and part of the appeal was that it was one of the first Chinese-language science fiction series to gain wide readership in the U.S. So I, I finished it recently, and it's... I hesitate to say that I like it, but I think it was very ambitious. It reminded me a little bit of Ender's Game, in that it took... A science fiction idea and very obviously mapped human philosophical questions onto it. So you had characters who felt more like mouthpieces for ideas than they felt like characters, which is not necessarily a problem, it's just not really the style I usually look for. Um, even toward the end in the, there's like a, an afterword where the author basically says, this is a story about Humanity as a whole, as opposed to any one human, even though it has human characters and it has some interesting looks at the Chinese Cultural Revolution, but it's a very large scale story and it's only the first of a series. So by the end, I was sort of like, well, where's my resolution here? What are we getting at? And we never really got at anything because it's not actually the end of the series. So I am glad I read it. I'm glad if Potentially someone came up to me in the street and said, did you read the great Chinese science fiction <laughs> epic? I could tell them, yes, I did. But I don't I, I don't know that I was entertained by it particularly.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think you'll read the others?
0: Probably not, to be honest. It's not high on <laughs> my list. Um, they read a lot like history books, which... I hesitate to say is a product of the translation. I think it was translated well. I don't know whether the sort of feeling of it all being in the past tense, which like it was in the past tense, but it had that feeling of being told from a future point of view. I'm not sure if that was a product of the translation or an intentional high Uh, Altitude look at it, but either way, that sort of made it difficult for me, and that might be the driving reason why I'm not particularly interested in going forward with them. I just, it felt very distanced. It felt like I was reading a history that didn't have much to do with me, even though it was
1: about the entire planet. Right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense, I think.
0: Like the alien concepts were interesting, but it wasn't really about. Aliens per se There was a a species that Can dehydrate Themselves so they Their planet is extremely Geologically uh, Violent which seems to be a theme For my reading material And the way they deal with it is by Dehydrating themselves And storing themselves Away and basically hibernating For periods of thousands And thousands of years But there was Never any real, like, physiological exploration of that. And it felt very much like uh, sort of a thought exercise. What if there was a species that only lived during these these rare periods of peace? How would they develop? It all felt very much like sort of a word problem in a way that wasn't exactly what I wanted, but was really creative.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Wait, can I ask why it's called the three-body problem? Or is it a spoiler?
0: Yes. No. Um, (coughs) It's called the three-body problem because that is a question in physics of how three gravitational bodies, like three suns, for example, would interact with each other. And if you place them in a certain orientation, they will be very gravitationally random like they'll orbit each other in ways that are difficult to predict and solving that orbit is part of the the question of the book
1: okay that makes sense that's
0: a cool sounding
1: name though
0: it is and i'd always pictured it as like sharing bodies like human bodies and it's got nothing to do with that
1: yeah (laughs) that's what i was thinking as well
0: (laughs) yep not at all (laughs) And then so the other one that I read recently that had sort of the opposite problem was Singer from the Sea by Sherry Tepper, who I adore, and her novel Grass about a woman running off and leaving her husband for an alien is one of my favorite like ecological sci fi oh, books. And it's it's not really about that, but sort of about that. <laughs> and so uh Singer from the Sea is also about a woman running off and finding aliens, and it has quite good character it's very character driven it's very blatantly feminist but the world was also sort of um it felt like a, a large metaphor it was not subtle <laughs> and it was uh i liked the characters but i the world didn't have as much scope as i wanted to have wanted it to have so exactly the opposite problem um and that's that one's basically about a planet where humans have set up a sort of Um, feudal society where the men rule over these kingdoms and they literally like basically use the blood of women to extend their lives. And it's not subtle at all, but it's about, um, it's about the, the women and about sort of um, people who care about the environment rising up and figuring out what's going on and solving the problem and there's a lot about uh, global warming and ice caps melting that seemed very relevant to today so it's a very good solid Sherry Tepper novel that is, you know, if you're not about that particular metaphor it might be a bit grating for you but I'm, I'm about that metaphor so it was fine <laughs>
1: That sounds interesting. I've never heard of this author before.
0: I really like Sherry Tepper's stuff. She writes what I think of as ecological science fiction. She'll present to you a planet and by the end of the book you'll know the entire ecosystem of the planet and that'll be tied in with the characters really well. It actually influenced some of how I would, I would like to write. I don't think I'd do enough of that but she's really good at this this ecological science fiction and if you like dune it's got a lot of the same trappings as dune just written by a sort of green party lady so <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> all right that's interesting i've never read dune but i like the sound of a green party dune <laughs>
0: <laughs> I haven't read Grass in a long time, but I mean to reread it so I'll report on whether that holds up as well as I remember it.
1: I just requested it at the library, so I'll read it when it comes in.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I consider it one of my favorite books, but I haven't read it in forever, so we should we'll talk about that.
1: I'm okay. uh, I
0: also read a bit of non-fiction this this week um actually Tumblr recommended me a book called ghost land An American history in haunted places by Chris Dickey. And it's about ghosts. It's about how Americans created different ghost stories and like, what are the most haunted places in America? And, but it also investigates issues of race and issues of gender through that. Like how would we read these stories differently if the, People in them were of a different race or a different gender, and how is, um, how are sort of atrocities like slavery erased through the ghost narratives that people tell? And it was really interesting.
1: Right, that sounds really cool.
0: It examines the kind of stories that end up being ghost stories in a way that I'd never really read before. And uh, it's it's quite eye-opening and very enjoyable. You know, it's a fast, it was a fast read for me.
1: Yeah, that sounds really cool.
0: And then the only other thing was, was Rogue One, which I had, and as I'm sure all of you know, I had ridiculous expectations for. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think it could possibly have lived up to what it was in my head, which is unfortunate because it's very good. Um, it is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a Rogue One novel in the style of Twilight Company. There's, added scenes. I have new favorite characters who weren't even in the, in the movie. R.I.P. that one stormtrooper. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very good. So if you like novelizations that's definitely a good one to pick up.
1: I am 100% going to get that as soon as I can because ugh, Alex Freed. I love him. Yep.
0: Yeah, he hasn't gone wrong yet.
1: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that they picked him for the novelization. Not that I've read it yet, so, like, don't hold me to this. I may have different opinions afterwards, but I'm glad, because I remember we were both, like, kind of sad when he wasn't um, the guy for Catalyst. But, um, (laughs) I I think there's not many people I would care about writing a novelization, but I think with the combination of it being Rogue One and it being him, I think I'm very keen for it.
0: This was such a roller coaster of an announcement because I messaged you like, oh no, he's not doing yes. Catalyst, and then like a day or so later I was like,
1: wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I remember that. It was so great. <laughs> <laughs> it it really was. I think
0: I think it was a really good choice. He does write battlefields so well, and he has really insightful character moments and just sort of bits that twist like a knife, and that's exactly what this needed.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I Yeah, I think Luciano did work really well for Catalyst, so I'm so like, I begrudgingly accept Lucasfilm made the right choice, I guess. (laughs) But I am glad that Alex Freed got something as well, and yeah, I'm excited to read it.
0: We begrudgingly accept that Alex Freed cannot write all the Star Wars books. We want him to have a life as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I guess. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But, um... I totally forgot that I did read another book over the past couple weeks. Um, I think I might have mentioned I started it ages ago. It was a novella called Baron Cove, which was about robots. And I kind of like, it started off really cool and then got kind of weird. So I just kind of put it down and stopped reading it. I think I, I think I ended up getting Obelisk Gate or something instead. And I was like, or I was waiting for Obeliskate Gate. And I couldn't make myself read anything else while I was waiting for it. Um... And it ended up being due at the library, so I picked it up and finished it because it was a short book. And I don't know what I think about it. It's really obviously written by a dude, um, just the way that all the characters are written. But it was basically about a really old robot coming from a city after humans had all died out, basically. Like, there are only a few humans left. And he's gone to this town to stay with some other robots because he needs a break from the city or something. And it's a story about how the robots that live at this house ended up getting to the point they're at. And the entire book just felt really pointless. Like, it was... I think it was trying to be, like, robots are not human or they'll develop different personalities or something. But they all just read, like... They didn't read, like, robots. They just read, like, kind of messed up people. Um, and so none of the characters were particularly likable. There was weird, like, drug stuff with the robots and it kind of it turned out that the gay character actually just had the memories programmed into him so he never actually had a boyfriend or anything and i was like what is the point of this book you've taken away my gay robots from me um oh it wasn't it wasn't amazing it started off really cool and it was not amazing so um if I i don't remember if i did recommend it earlier but i take that back
0: I'm stuck on the the robot-needed-to-leave-the-city thing. Was it leisure, or is this sort of all about them trying to, like, find themselves, and they're just thinly-veiled humans?
1: I think that was kind of it. Like, it ended up with everything ending badly, and this old robot getting his heart broken by some young, cute, manic pixie-during-girl robot. Um, What? Yeah, it was... She had wheels for legs. I don't know. It was really, she had pink hair and wheels for legs. And I was like, I see what you're doing here. And I don't like it. Um So, like, it was like this old robot who kind of just fell in love with this young robot, like, instantly, the moment he saw her, because she was super, super cute and special. And it just, it was, it didn't feel like it had a point. I didn't learn anything from it. The characters didn't really grow. They all just kind of fell apart more. And I don't know. I wish it had been different, but it wasn't
0: yeah that sounds sort of sort of
1: silly, yeah, and there was a lot of there was this one robot that was made by um like this robot, Mary fell in love with this human, and so at some point they built a son together, like that was part of what the robots did is they built children for themselves, so they were even more like humans. um and so this woman and this dude built a robot together, but he he was not good at building robots. It was like this messed up robot child that was falling apart and broken and couldn't talk properly. And their, like, psychopathic other son kept looking after him despite them, but then got really close to him, but then killed him. And it was really sad because this little, like, kind of robot that was basically a a metaphor for a disabled child... Was the best character in the book because they were such a sweetie, and then they just had this horrible life, and there was no point to them existing. I was just as soon as that story, just as soon as that arc finished, I was just like, "Nah, I don't like this book anymore."
0: Yeah, that that sounds sort of obnoxious at best, and quite quite light. At worst, was it a short book, or did just it not have a lot happening?
1: Yeah, it was just it was a novella, I think, and it, not much happened. There was. Not really anything, especially with the main character. The main character didn't even need to be there. It just could have been a story about the robots at the house. Um I'm not sure what the point of them being there was in the end. It was, yeah, it was not a good book.
0: Ah, uh, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> it's so good. Well, it was short-lived.
0: And either way, we will add it to our Goodreads shelf. Which is a new addition to our podcast. Um, a listener asked us if we could add the books that we mentioned on Goodreads because we, I know that it's an ongoing challenge to. Hear titles in a podcast, and then have to go back and look for the titles again. So we do now have a, a Goodreads like a club, a group. It will not be used for anything other than storing the books that we talk about. I don't imagine like you can post in the forums if you want, but I I wasn't really planning on using that. <laughs> but it will have <laughs> it will have all the books that we mention on the show. So if you want to go after. After you listen to it and look at that, um, it's called Western Reaches
1: Bookshelf. Be sure to thank Megan for that because she's amazing.
0: You're welcome. It was <laughs> fun. I like to organize my life via Goodreads. It's very satisfying.
1: <laughs> I keep meaning to do that and then forgetting Goodreads exists until somebody friends me again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a thing. Ah. <laughs> The
0: the book challenge helps me. If I'm not doing a challenge, I'm not sure I'll use it as often. But now I have another reason to use it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm keen about this shelf. It's very cool.
0: <laughs> Great. <laughs>
1: it's not as good as the shelf
0: at your library, the mysterious shelf, but that's no, okay.
1: No. I need to get something from that. Okay, by the way, Baron Cove was from that shelf, so that shelf let me down this time.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Still, it is an intriguing show.
1: It is. is. Okay, so like from soon. All
0: right. So games. Um, I feel like I've been terribly repetitive with games lately. I um, thank you for your patience with me talking about Destiny all the time, <laughs> but <laughs> but this week I actually have a new a new game. I played Titanfall two uh, for a little while. I'm about three hours into the campaign, maybe. Um, and it was highly praised. A lot of people have said they really like it, that it's like sort of the quintessential military shooter with giant robots. And uh, that's basically what it is. is. I'm So far, I'm enjoying it. Um, you play the, pi- the pilot of a giant robot, and occasionally you can talk. You have, like, brief dialogue choices, and some of them are really funny. I definitely feel... Sort of attached to BT as the robot. Um, it is unusual for me because it is a game where you actually shoot humans, which I just don't do very often. I'm a little squicked out by that. But it's like a really solid shooter, it's enjoyable. I'm just so used to like Halo where I'm fighting aliens, and I'm just like, oh no, guys, you have faces, can't we talk this out? <laughs> But the, like, robot versus robot combat is fun, too. So I'm enjoying that. And it's, like, it just makes me realize how much I love the military game cliches. Like, you got your gruff old mentor, and you're the, like, rookie who is pushed into a situation he didn't expect to be in. And, like, it's great.
1: I'm a little bit jealous because I've been wanting to play (laughs) Titanfall 2 for so long. Um... Well, so long ever since they showed like the the trailer last year earlier this year, I don't know showing the trailer about the single player with the robot friend, and i my first reaction was just I need this robot friend um so I've been wanting to play it for ages, but of course, I don't have a console that can handle it yet, so I've been vicariously living through everyone's tweets about it
0: uh-huh. <laughs> i'll I'll be sure to send more tweets. He's a good robot friend there's a part I'm at the part I'm at now is like he's gotten he's been captured, basically, like he you get separated from him, and I sort of realized how much I started to care. So I was like, no, i have to go chase chase my robot friend, <laughs> and the world building is pretty good. The scenes very clearly show you what's going on. There's always some kind of action going on in the scene other than other than you. The, like environmental storytelling is is pretty good. There's not enough like. There's not a lot of story. There's not a lot of stuff to find. I was, like, poking around in, like, wrecked spaceships and guard booths and stuff, hoping to find some flavor text, and there isn't really much. But the world, in terms of the the terrain, is well done, and
1: it's. I'm enjoying it. That's good to hear.
0: Yep, what about you?
1: Um... I have not played too much recently. I feel like there's something in particular I have played, and I've just totally forgotten what it was. But I have a couple mobile games I played through, or sometimes pick up and play through. Um, one of them's an Australian game called Agent A, A Puzzle in Disguise, which was, I think, an award winner at the Australian Game Developer Awards. I can't remember what it got. I think it got sound design, maybe something else. But it's a really cool little, like, point-and-click mobile game. Um, where you are trying to catch some spy who's killed people and you're in her house and trying to track her down and she's got all these traps and mysteries and everything. And it's really fun. It's a really cool game. It makes your phone heat up like crazy because it is a really, (laughs) it's quite a technically impressive game. Um, but if you like point and clicks, it's really good and I really enjoy it, even though some of the puzzles got me stumped foot ages because I'm not good at um, visual memory or noticing things that I should or I got I got stuck on the fish tank for ages because I was like okay there's a giant fish tank obviously I need to do something with it but anything I try to do with it like I keep trying to use it at the wrong time and so I'd stand there just clicking on it and getting the little message that just says like there's a fish in the fish tank and I was like no I need to be able to use the fish tank and it wouldn't let me um, which is what I do and it point-and-click games I get too hung up on one particular thing which isn't the right thing oh no (laughs) but um I can't remember if the second part or third part the next part has come out yet on android pretty sure it just came out on ios so the story is still ongoing as far as I know it's really cool I need to pick it back up again for that
0: I really like the sound of a phone game that's really graphically impressive
1: Yeah, it's really pretty, and the the sound is really cool as well. It's very much like a spy thriller kind of thing. Uh, The music works well with that. It's really cool. I would seriously recommend it. I don't think I've played many um, mobile games that I've thought were as cool as this.
0: And it's called Agent A?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Does the A stand for Australia? I have no clue. <laughs> what,
1: like, what, what does it stand for? I think your character just gets called Agent A. I can't remember. Okay. I don't know if that's your name or anything. Yeah, it was kind of oh, confusing because you eh. say it's Agent A, a puzzle in disguise, and people are like, A, yeah. a puzzle? And I'm like, it's it's two different. There's a colon in there. It's two different things.
0: Oh, I just looked it up and it's uh, a cool looking lady spy. She reminds me of um, Carmen
1: Sandiego. Yeah, she's the lady you're trying to catch. She's devious.
0: Oh, so she is the Carmen San Diego.
1: Yeah, she's really cool. I like her. Um, I've also been playing another mobile game called Indefinite, which is a really basic game where basically you're in an interrogation and you have to answer questions in a time limit, and you keep getting asked. I feel like I might have talked about this on here before as well, but you keep getting asked the same questions. Like, you'll get different questions, but they'll keep throwing the same ones back at you to test your memory. Um, and if you answer the wrong thing again, then they catch you out, and you get this little report at the end that's like, so-and-so was involved with this stuff, and your sister is always somebody that they're trying to find, so it's basically they're going through you to find your sister because your sister's some terrorist or something. And some big thing happened, and it, sometimes it's alien, sometimes it's something else, and depending on how far through you get to it, you get new questions, and you get different reports at the end. And it's really cool. I don't think it ever ends, because lots of it's just an infinite question game kind of thing but you kind of have to make up your character as you're going and then have to remember who they are and all these facts about them to get different questions to learn more about your own character and also the world that you're in at that time and it's so simple but i love it so much
0: I feel like this is like revealing a theme of memory here because I don't think you mentioned this game before, but I had to ask you earlier if I'd mentioned something before. So we're both <laughs> struggling <laughs> with memory a little bit, which yeah. means I might not be very good at this game.
1: Yeah, usually I'm really bad at memory stuff, but I've actually gotten some really high scores on di- indefinite. Usually when I get into like one particular character, I get really invested in that one character. Um, and remember all the things and eventually I get really high Uh, and because you get to for the different questions every time you play again you get different answers to those questions as like, you get four choices to each question and every time you play those choices can change depending on the question so you can't keep playing the same character over and over again, you have to play a different character each time and it, it can be so hard if you've played it like 20 times in a row because you've just got all of these different answers mixed together and it's, it's so confusing, but I think it's probably good for memory practice. I don't know. I, I don't think my memory's gotten any better, but it's really fun to just play when you've got some time to go.
0: <laughs> I like that idea of being able to build your own character, like you're half building it yourself and half learning from the answers that you get.
1: Yeah, because you only get a certain amount of things, like you could, it'll be like, where are you from? And you'll say, I'm from Canada. And then it'll say, where were you for the last 10 years? And then... Canada won't be one of those options, so you'll have to be like, okay, well, I guess I moved out of Canada at some point. But then it'll ask you, "Where's your sister?" And it won't have any of the options you've picked. So you're like, I guess, message her somewhere else. And then it'll ask you, "When was the last time you saw your sister?" And so it keeps building up these more and more questions on where you are and why you're there right now and how you helped the the I can't remember what's called whatever the event that um made something bad happen like how you helped that happen because you're complicit in it basically whether or not you as the player feel like you are they always get it out of you that you are
0: interesting
1: yeah so you can and there's also like some questions like how many people did you kill and it'll be none of the answers will be zero so you'll have to admit that you killed somebody Oh, wow. So it kind of it forces you into these certain things. And it's really interesting. Like, for such a basic game, it is really interesting and cool.
0: Yeah, and you said that's something that you can just kind of keep playing. It doesn't necessarily have an end.
1: Yeah, as far as I know, it doesn't because it's just so many questions. And it gets to a point where it's, like, impossible to keep answering all of these questions because there's just so many things you have to remember. Um, I, I think at some point I looked it up to see if it did have an ending of some kind and I found a Reddit, and of all of the people on that Reddit, I had gotten the highest score. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I guess I probably know more about where this game goes than they do. Um, yeah, I can't remember what my score was. It was 160-something, I think. It's, I, I thoroughly recommend this game. Cool.
0: So anything else you want to add in the games department, or we'll go on to our main topic? I can't remember if I mentioned Mini Metro before. I feel like I probably have... That does sound familiar, yeah. but if, have you played it more recently?
1: Yeah, I've been playing it a lot recently because I have it on my tablet, and it's just such a chill game to just play, even though it feels like it should be stressful. It's not, and I think, especially around holiday times, because it's so much like traveling around to see family and so much stress, it's been a really good game to just wind down with.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay if we repeat things. I think it <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> I've made myself self-conscious about repeating things, but whatever. We're in charge, Saf. We're in charge. We can do what we want. <laughs> so, okay, Rogue One. Um, I was thinking about a thing that I think about very often: Halo Reach, and how Rogue One is basically serves a similar purpose. Um, I guess this is your belated spoiler warning. Spoilers for Rogue <laughs> One. Um, well, you know, we'll be. Talking about the entire movie going forward. But like Reach, Rogue One ends with everyone dies. And it's a prequel story. So I wanted to talk about, is Rogue One the reach of Star Wars? And I want to talk about this in two different ways. One of which is the serious way. Does the tone of Rogue One work for you as a tone about doomed people? And number two, the less serious way, which is which character corresponds to which character, because that's very important. <laughs> it's super <laughs> important.
1: Obviously,
0: obviously, um, Galen is Halsey. <laughs> oh yeah. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> so I guess, I guess let's do the sort of Silly answer first, which the silly answer for me is yes, obviously it's the same. It's about a bunch of soldiers that go find a scientist and have a really bad day and all die at the end.
1: A it's really not, bad
0: day. <laughs> yeah, several, several, about a really bad month, I suppose, in the case of Reach. Yeah. Um, so, Saf, do you have any other fan casts,
1: theories, thoughts about this? Um,. Oh, man. I feel like, I can't even remember any of the characters from, um, I can't remember the names now in Reach. Um, like, I feel like Cassian and Jun? June.
0: Yeah, June's the sniper.
1: Yeah, the real, like, kind of mysterious one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. June was a little bit churret, too, though, because he was, like, zen, kind of.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. That's really true.
0: The big... Difference, sort of, is the timeline because Reach was not the first attack. Reach was not the first time the Covenant attacked humanity, and Rogue One was not the first time that the Empire attacked a planet. But the timeline doesn't quite work because if you really wanted to make an equivalent, like, Reach would be Alderaan, and we're not getting the Alderaan story here. That's so. True. <laughs> It's not quite the same.
1: But you could but, say that, like, Cortana is kind of like the Death Star plans that they got to get out. Yes!
0: Yes! Cortana <laughs> would be the Death Star plans, which <laughs> is delightful. That's entirely correct.
1: Because then, yeah, they, they, she hands them over to the ship and they beam up, yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same, yeah. She's fitting from With, Death Star plans, I think.
0: Yes. <laughs> she Just, like, the blue lasers... Our Cortana. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but like, tonally, at the beginning of Reach, you know everyone is going to die. You see, like, the Spartan helmet wrecked on the planet. You know the planet has been bombed to heck. And you know that that's how it's going to end. Whereas with Rogue One, you don't know. There's a sense of maybe the first viewing, you just don't know how it's going to end. I felt that that changed the tone a lot that that gave reach was a very self-contained story, which is part of what I liked about it. Um, even though it was a prequel, it didn't have a lot of the same characters as the later chronologically later Halo games, like with rogue one, they were published beforehand and set afterward. Um, but it, had this sort of inevitable feeling that made itself contained, whereas Rogue One didn't have that. Rogue One also connected, like, super closely to A New Hope and had more of a sense of, like, forward momentum. And for me, that affected the rewatchability a little bit. When I watched it for a second time, and I've only seen it twice, I didn't get a sense of, like, the dawning disaster that that Reach had. And Reach wasn't, like, amazingly atmospheric. It wasn't incredibly done. It was a, you know, pretty basic shooter in a lot of ways, but, you know, it added mechanics here and there, but it didn't go out of its way to make everything feel awful. But it did have that sort of atmosphere that I don't know that Rogue One had on a rewatch. Maybe it had less of a feeling of, um foreshadowing because the rebels did have some early victories and because Galen's death was sort of... ah, See, no, I'm going to correct myself (laughs) live because I was going to say that Galen's death almost came as a victory to the rebellion, but I don't think it came as a victory to the main characters. So, but the direction of the story felt different. Does this... Do you have any feelings about this? Does this make sense at all?
1: Yeah, no, that all makes sense to me. Um I've seen the movie three times now, and I definitely it doesn't have the same tension it did the first time because I know what's going to happen. Um I think I I definitely agree. It doesn't have the same sort of impending horror that uh Reach does. Like it kind of feels like a slow march towards death most of that game. Um whereas I think Rogue One, partly because, I guess, because Star Wars is such, like, a hopeful thing, it always gives you that hope, even though you know <laughs> that there's no hope, so you're watching the movie, so, like, it feels like they could live, and then they don't live, whereas when That's you're playing true. Reach, you don't ever have that feeling of, they might live, you're just like, no, I'm getting attached yeah. <laughs> to them, but I know they're gonna die.
0: Because that attitude of sacrifice is, like, baked into the Halo story, and- yeah. I cannot emphasize enough that these two things are not like actually thematically connected. <laughs> yeah. I just, like I just like both of them and thought it would be funny mostly like I, I do think they're just sort of thematically connected, but like i'm I'm sitting here going, man, I'm grasping at straws and like, yes, yes, I am.
1: I mean, I always love the whole like prequel where they're not gonna survive, and you're just watching them struggle against that fact, like um. Yes. There's Crisis Core, which is the Final Fantasy VII prequel on PSP, and that is legitimately one of my favorite games. I love that game so much. But because in Final Fantasy VII, Zack is already dead, and in Crisis Core you play Zack, you're just like, I know what's going to happen, but I don't want it. And so you spend the entire game being like, maybe they'll change the ending. And it's got a really similar Final Battle to Reach, actually, where you are fighting against waves of enemies that you can never defeat, um, and... Like in Reach you've got the cracking helmet to show you that your character is dying and growing weaker. In in Crisis Core in the final battle, um eventually you get low enough health in in the waves of endless soldiers that you end up just with like four different soldiers that you're fighting, or three or something like that. And as you go through and as you lose more health, uh you lose your memories, like it shows little flashes of cutscenes and stuff, and you lose oh, wow. parts of your battle mechanics to show that the character is dying. And you can't really do that in movies, which is always kind of sad because whenever games have something like that, it's always so effective because the mechanics are affecting how you play the game and how the story is working um but I think as well like with with reach because it has this whole like the whole time you know you're you're sacrificing yourself and you're marching towards that um and Rogue one doesn't quite have that feeling like a lot of people before they sort of like I know everyone's gonna die and then when they finished it they're like yeah I told you I thought that at least somebody would live I thought maybe Jin and Cassian or maybe Bodhi would survive so I spent the whole movie kind of stressed out about that um it doesn't have that same at the end a lot of, like Chira and Baze get like a really really cool like ending like they they achieve something and then they have their death moment um with each other but like, Bodhi just kind of gets blown up and there's not much there. It's just like, he does it and then there's a grenade and he's dead. And I feel like, especially with Jin and Cassian at the end there, like, even though it's a gorgeous scene and I love it so much, it still doesn't feel like... It's it's a lot more of a kind of sadly bittersweet ending than Reach's, where they're just constantly fighting till the end. These two characters kind of get the fighting done and they have a moment to rest before they die.
0: Hmm, that's true. There's a sense of hope in their resignation, in a way. They know they've done the right thing, and Reach doesn't really slow down like that toward the end. Yeah. Man, now I just want a Reach novelization, which I'm not... I mean, there was, like, the Reach novel, but I'm never gonna get, like, a Noble Six book, and that's what I want.
1: Yeah, I want a book with George, because I love him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, like, I wish that, um, Rogue One paralleled Reach a bit more and that the scientist was the lady. Like, I would have loved if Jin's mother was the scientist as opposed to the father because I am personally very sick of daddy issues in Star Wars. Um, and also I always love a good morally ambiguous scientist in my sci fi. <laughs> yeah
0: I agree I would have loved to see Lyra be more of a a main figure and that's interesting too uh, when you talk about comparing Galen to Halsey because I love Halsey I think she's really cool I think the stuff she created was cool I think the Halo series is absolutely like they should be exploring the fact that she's very grey morally she's Her creations have done terrible things as well as doing good things. And she kidnapped children. And, like, she's not a good role model. But she's also (laughs) a fantastic morally gray scientist. And Galen also created something that did terrible things but is generally cast as a good person. And it's hard to make a one-to-one comparison. But I guess I'm less interested in Galen's forced Science, like, he, he wanted to be a conscientious objector and wasn't allowed to be and had to make something terrible. I'm less interested in that than I am in Halsey doing something that doing something bad because she thought it was right.
1: Yeah, I think that's why I love Halsey so much, is because she does awful things. Like, yeah, she kidnapped children and had the Flash clones that all died, and that's just generally terrible. Um, but she did, like the Spartans legitimately did save humanity and they did stop the Covenant, and so if she hadn't done that, everybody would have died. So it's one of those things that like, she did awful things, but she did it because she thought it was the right thing to do, as you said, and then it ended up somewhat being the right thing to do, even though it's questionable. Um, and yeah, I feel like the Halo universe could explore that a bit more... um, with a bit more ambiguity than the black and white you sometimes get in it. But yeah, I... The force, the forced kind of thing that Galen had. I understand they didn't want his character to be like seen as bad. I guess because he's Jin's dad, but I find it so much more less interesting, so much less interesting when the character isn't invested in. It, I guess like there were there would have been ways for a character to believe they were doing the right thing with the Death Star as opposed to. Like, all of, they showed basically in Catalyst that all of the scientists that were working on it, like Galen, knew it was bad and didn't really want to, as opposed to other novels where they show the characters in the Empire believing it's the right thing, even if they sometimes do bad things. Like in Lost Stars, you see the characters on the Death Star thinking that it's doing the right thing, even though they just blew up Alderaan. Um, and I find that way more interesting in science fiction and in Star Wars in general, even though it's not super done. And I think I would have, Galen was alright, but I think I would have liked him a lot more as a character, yeah, if he'd been a bit more grey about what he'd done.
0: In a way, it's a question of Galen's agency, isn't it? It's a question of him deciding what to do versus having a tiny bit of leeway in what other people are forcing him to do.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. Like, he really only got agency near the end when he finally sent out that message.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I know that I really like the, the do it for the aesthetic science type, like (laughs) character that they're, they're a villain probably, or a morally great character who is doing, you know, whatever dark magic from destiny is the example that I'm thinking about who, uh, um, does it kind of because they think it's cool and, like, it's awful, but they're coming from a place of, like, they're an artist and they chose to art this way and they, like, should be defeated, absolutely. But meanwhile, they're absolutely, like, like showing their agency. And Delilah from Dishonored is like that, too. She's trying to remake the world in her own own image. Like, that's super interesting. But I don't – that's not what they were going for with Galen.
1: Yeah, I appreciate what they were going for. It's just not entirely my thing.
0: That actually brings me to something I thought of after I recorded Blaster Cannon, which was, I would like to sort of rearrange Galen's part in Rogue One. I think that if he had died later, if he had survived on Eadu and gone to Scarif, and Cassian and Jin had to confront him on Scarif, and there... Jin had to convince Cassian not to kill him. It could have tied up really nicely into the end and it might have fixed some of the stuff that bothered me about the way Cassian and Jin's stories were kind of weighted.
1: I would have loved to see it like that actually. I hadn't really thought about Galen changing his story to change things, but I'd like that. Because yeah, him, when he died and it, it was kind of yeah. Like, it kind of just happened. (laughs) And it was a weird thing all up that happened. Um, The whole Eater thing was kind of weird, honestly. Though I did appreciate Chirrut's part in it. But actually having that confrontation between Jin and Cassian with regards to her father, as opposed to it being kind of before and kind of after, would have been a lot stronger, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't usually do this. I don't usually, like, full-scale rearrange movies because I generally think of Star Wars movies as immutable. But with this one, I was thinking about how very unsatisfied I was with Cassian's decision not to kill Galen. I just It didn't have the right weight for such a big moment. And I think moving that might have helped.
1: Yeah, yeah. That whole, when he did choose not to kill Galen, I was sitting there thinking, why, Thor? Why didn't you kill him? Like yeah, Jen kind of yelled at him before, but nothing she said seemed like it really could have affected him that much. I didn't really give that sign, and I'm kind of saying that I don't really rearrange movies or think about different things with movies, especially with Star Wars. But um, I, I I keep I can't stop thinking that like it would have been great if Jen and Cassian had, had just another scene like before that the council meeting. Or something to kind of show both of them changing their paradigms a bit. Because right before then, you've kind of got them figured out. And then after that, they both change. And there's no moment in between showing how they change particularly.
0: Yeah, that moment where Galen decides not to shoot. Didn't, the what I was thinking was not, oh, this establishes his character. Or, oh, this changes his relationship with Jin. It was okay, this solidifies that he's a main character and (laughs) he's making this decision because he kind of cares about the other main character who happens to be the opposite gender from him. And then them being main characters explains everything else. But it it absolutely would have helped if I think all the crew had some more scenes together. I think generally i like the movie generally i found it like satisfying as a story i don't have the great desire to re it like i did with the force awakens because i feel like i've seen everything there is to see about these characters because they just didn't quite have enough time together
1: yeah like i genuinely love this movie because it's a lot of stuff i love and it's also star wars um but it's not it's not a perfect movie, and I feel like more time could have been spent with the characters, but on the other hand, I'm kinda glad there wasn't more time spent on the characters, because I was already attached to them, and I didn't need to be more attached to them to watch them die. Um, but, uh-huh. <laughs> I just, I can't get over how, like, it's just that change between Gazian, like, the last time you see him before the council, when he's fighting with Jin, and he's really angry, and he basically, like, tells her that she's in shock, as opposed to owning up to what he's, to what he was going to do. Um, and then after that, he suddenly comes to her and he has everyone else and he's like, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Um, I just wish there'd been something else in there.
0: That's a good point. He changes off screen.
1: Yeah. I think that happens with both Jin and him because you get her sudden inspirational speech right before Scarif when she'd kind of been a bit more aggressive and less willing right before then.
0: Yeah, that I didn't mind so much because I do think the strength of the acting really helped. I thought that yeah. uh, Felicity Jones did a good job of showing how she sort of took her um her grief for Galen and turned it into that
1: that fire, and I liked that a lot.
0: But that doesn't mean that more characterization would have been
1: nice. Yeah. No, I agree really. Like with Jen, I feel like Felicity Jones did really well with um that character. She had so much emotion when she watches the hologram with galen um and saw's place and you get to see how full of grief she is it's just painful to watch because it's just so it's so real that scene is so good in the novel
0: too because it really emphasizes how saw was her father figure and how she like feels betrayed by both of her fathers and that's the other thing that i think keeping galen alive longer would do it would allow more opportunities for him and saw to be parallel with each other
1: yeah i'm still kind of sad that saw died there i'm also kind of sad he never got that line from the trailer like the whole what will you do if they catch you what will you do if they break you thing because that was a really cool line yeah,
0: that was odd that that was missing. It seemed appropriate. I don't. I haven't looked too much into the reshoots. Some people have done extensive like research about yeah. sort of architecturally reconstructing the movie from the trailers, and I just haven't gotten into that. But it seems like that line was maybe something between Saw and a younger Jin, and uh, that would have been cool because I felt like that established a lot about him, and I was definitely left part of me liked his death scene was because it was just kind of kind of cool it was really ominous and he was obviously sort of ready to go but the other part of me was like i just don't understand what he's thinking in this moment i don't understand why he wants to stay
1: i got so emotional about that whole thing when i was watching it the first time i knew i was getting really emotional about saw because it's saw it's Steeler's brother and it's also from the glow wars um when I saw a trailer, one of the trailers I hadn't seen yet, right before, uh, like a couple weeks before the, I saw the movie, and I, would be, I was getting emotional during the trailer, but when, when Saw came on screen and started talking, that like, I teared up, and that's when I kind of knew I was gonna be screwed when Saw came on screen in the actual movie. And that whole time, because he's changed so much, from how he was in the Clone Wars, I was just sitting there and my head is being like, what happened to you? What have you done to yourself? What are you doing? Like, I was so distressed. And then when he chose to stay, I was just like, I, I imagined, I, I was like, I don't want you to die, but I understand why you're doing this. And my friend next to me who hasn't seen the Clone Wars or anything was just like, why is he staying? Why is he going to die? This is dumb. I don't like it. And I was just like, you don't understand what he's been through. You He's don't been understand. so much. <laughs> this is Ferrandoran. His life has been so hard. He's gonna see Steela again, and I was just in there oh, sobbing, no. and none of my other friends in that group understood why. <laughs> oh
0: man! Now see, I'd love a mention of, of that if he said, you know, I. I- gonna see my sister again or something that would have made
1: it so much better I was hoping so much for a mention of Onderon or Steela and there wasn't anything which I understand because they wanted him to be a character for the movie not for the Clone Wars so I understand why but I'm still sad but I can't stop thinking that like he must have seen Steela and young Jin for like because Jin was like she's such Ooh, like an yeah. angry person and Steela was quite like aggressive as well not aggressive but like I can't think of the word I want. Um, it was that sort of revolutionary fire yeah. going on. Yeah, like, they're both quite similar in that. And, I, like, every time they were in the same room together, I was just thinking about if he sees Stila in her and if he cares about her like Steela. And I was just, I was getting too emotional about that, that particular uh-huh. part of the movie. <laughs>
0: and, well, we'll get to see more in Rebels
1: soon. Yes, I'm so excited. I knew they were going to bring him in eventually. I was just wondering when.
0: I can't complain about Clone Wars being in Rebels anymore because now it's Rogue One and Rebels and it's just all tied together. It's kind of cool that it's so tied together.
1: Yeah. Did you see like all the Rebels stuff in Rogue One?
0: I did. Well, so I haven't, I've been very bad at catching glimpses of things. I saw the ghost in the trailer, but I still haven't seen Chopper. But I was so happy to hear General Sandula. I was yes. sitting with a couple friends who caught it too and it was it was really nice.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I was with again my friends I like, saw it the first time with I haven't seen the T V shows or anything. Um, and so when I heard General Sindula I like grabbed my friend's arm and I was like whacking him and I was like, It's it's Hera, it's Hera and he didn't understand what was happening.
0: <laughs> I'm just like general man i want to know all of that story the entire thing
1: yes i also spent the entire battle over scarif like terrified that i would see the ghost get blown up or something i was more distressed about the ghost than any other part of the movie by that point because i was just like they have to live they have to live oh no (laughs) but yeah
0: it's uh, that does make me wish that They'd mentioned Steela, though, because, like, the ghost being destroyed, I think that's something that probably wouldn't happen in a movie because you want that, if that's going to happen, you want it to be, like, uh, an emotional moment for the TV viewers. But on the other hand, having a character say, oh, I'm so tired of war, I lost my other base on Scarif, I lost, or on Jeddah. like, I lost... My home planet. I lost my sister. Like that's not too difficult for viewers to follow. I feel like even people that yeah. don't know anything about the Clone Wars can understand. Oh, this character is sad because his sister died.
1: Yeah, I feel like just like an off, off-hand mention of Steela would have been fine. Not using her name, just mentioning like a sister or even his home planet. And I am, I am a little bit disappointed that that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and she was not mentioned in the novel either, which which would have been Damn nice. Damn it. Alex freed us down. He
1: <laughs> let us down for <laughs> one down time. For the, the first time. The first time. <laughs> probably not the, Probably the last time. I was going to say, and and not the last time, because I'm not going to quit his books, but also hopefully the last time, because I don't want to let me down again. Yeah, there's a lot writing on this. <laughs> hopefully one day we get to mention a steela again i also kept thinking about like if because when i saw that arc in the clone wars i was always mad that steela died and i'm still mad that steela died i forever just think that it should have been saw that died and steela that lived because they need to stop killing characters ladies in star wars um and i was like what if steela had been in this movie it would have been so cool but that's like a million things that would have had to happen that never happened
0: it would have been nice, and I really, I liked Forrest Whitaker, I even liked that tiny little sort of flinch he does before the, the shock wave hits oh, him at yeah. the end was was really meaningful, I think. But Stila would have been nice.
1: Yeah, his acting was so good. It was, and oh, have you
0: have you seen, I think a couple people mentioned it on Tumblr, it's not canon as far as I know, but there are people saying that Bodhi was so scared of him because he couldn't see Saw at first. He could just hear the breathing, and it reminded him of Darth Vader.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that too, because the first time he, um when he takes off the hood and he's talking to saw and saw like kind of stops him and does that breathing thing and it just shows bodhi's face and then it sounds so much like vader and bodhi looks terrified and i was thinking like has he heard darth vader's breathing before is that why he's so scared right now and it's yeah it's never mentioned in the movie and i'm guessing because you say you're not sure it's canon it's not in the book either but that little touch i was like that says that could hint at so much more in bodhi's backstory yeah, that's so good. I'd love to read that story. I don't know if he ever met Vader in canon,
0: but I would I would read that story.
1: Me too. I really hope that all those characters get their little backstory things, like a comic or a novel, because they're all such interesting characters, and I feel like I could love them so much. I already do love them a lot, but I feel like I'd love them even more if we got more with them.
0: I agree. And the uh, Ultimate Visual Guide had some cool stuff. It had interesting tidbits about sort of who they were before they joined the rogue one crew but it wasn't it wasn't enough
1: always need more <laughs> it's never enough my favorite thing is that chariot's <laughs> like red sash thing sash um is like the same that Lyra wears at the start of the movie yeah. i love that so much
0: yeah that that's like the it, the color of the people who are devotees of the force does
1: lore santeca have one too I don't think so. I think it's related to Jeddah's particular thing, okay. as opposed to the Church of the Force in general, but I I mean, there's not much information about this, so I'm not sure, but as far as I know, Lost Antigot doesn't have one.
0: I well. love that Chirrut also has the starbird necklace.
1: Wait, he does?
0: Yeah. Oh my
1: god, I never realized that. It's a little...
0: I think you can only see it in the visual guide. I never... I, I don't know, like... I wouldn't think you'd be able to see it in the movie, but it's a little wooden rebel
1: pendant. I love it. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! I love yes, oh, I love Chirrut so much. He's my favorite. Yes,
0: I I think I still think Bodhi is my favorite, but that's because I identify with him the most. At Baze and Chirrut were like they had so much character.
1: Yeah, those two are so great. I love them. I really would I would kill for like a comic or a novel about them.
0: I'm hoping for uh, Rogue One comics after the Darth Maul miniseries. I think Marvel knows that people want more about them. Uh, whether we get it in a book, I don't know, because there haven't really been announcements for like even um, children's books, I don't think. Nothing like the Before the Awakening, except there's the Baze and Shiret book coming out but that's going to be set mostly during the movie I I believe um, so there might be more coming somewhere um, unless they're really going to concentrate their efforts on episode 8 I think there's plenty of opportunity to tell more stories about the characters in Rogue One and that's something that as much as I say I'd like to see more about the characters there's enough to build other stories on and that matters just as much
1: yeah you're right there I think
0: Okay, so we have made our very important Halo comparison. We have (laughs) made our entreaties to Alex Freed. Anything else?
1: Um, not that I can think of. Except mostly just that I wish Star Wars would stop killing the mothers. But we'll see. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I I still... it, It... would have been nice to have more women and more aliens in Rogue One. Period. Oh,
1: actually, yeah. Okay, two things with aliens. I'm pretty sure I saw it as a Brack in like Saw's area, And they're in shadows, and I think really? they have a beard. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Somebody else because I mean I asked on Twitter if there was a Brack, and somebody replied to me being like, "Oh yeah, I think I saw one here," and I was like, "Yes, that's who I saw." And the sick the third time I saw her, I paid extra attention, and they looked like they've got the horns and the face painting, so I was very excited about that. Oh, um, that's
0: critically important.
1: It's when. Oh, it's I think it's when I don't remember exactly when it is but um it's after you see that like twilek dancer hologram I think it's right after yes. that um also oh. twilek don- dancer hologram I'm so mad that there was finally a twilek in a new movie and it was a stupid dancer hologram I'm so mad about that
0: Yeah I th- so there were two others I believe um Wait there were two I noticed there's a Pink Twi'lek in the scene where Cassian meets his informant for the first time, when you see that like crowd scene. Like a lady or a dude? I'm pretty sure it was a lady. I'm pretty sure I saw pink Leku on like the right side of the screen when it pans over that
1: road where Cassian is. I need to go watch this movie again right now. (laughs)
0: Because I, I noticed because it was just like, well, I noticed because I was specifically looking for Twi'leks, yeah. but also because it was bright pink. And then there's another one in Saw's, his castle thing um, that's got a name.
1: It's something Fortuna, I think.
0: Yeah, isn't and it the one that uh, looks
1: like, is like based off of the Fortuna's like original mech or something like that?
0: Yes, and yeah. he's a little hard to see because his head tails are very thin and he's... He's got the tan skin tone, but oh, he's, he's so there. Creepy. He's so creepy I think, looking. Yeah, that was, that did not look healthy.
1: Yeah, no, I totally remember that. I'm mad that, yeah, maybe they I, I need to find that pink Twi'lek, but I was just mad that, like, the main thing of, like, a lady Twi'lek was that dancer, because I've been wanting another Twi'lek lady in these movies for oh, so much. I'm still mad TFA didn't have any Twi'leks either, because, like, I get that they want to introduce new aliens and make the galaxy bigger, but also, there's such a, quintessential alien in Star Wars that I, I miss them.
0: Yeah, I miss them too. I'm always on the lookout for them. I do, that's another thing. I do think that the latest Star Wars movies, both TFA and Rogue One, have not been quite as good with creatures and aliens as the older ones were. The yeah. the raptors, the Boar Gullet, they have felt sort of extraneous in a way that, like, the Rancor or the Wampa didn't. And monsters are such a big part of Star Wars. Like the first Star Wars movie I saw was Attack of the Clones, which has like that huge monster scene at the end. <laughs> and the new ones haven't quite lived up to that. I love them, but it's one area in which I think they need to improve is their monsters.
1: Yeah, I really when the Borgallet came out, and I was just like, why do all the new big monsters keep having tentacles? What is with this? There's the raptors and there's the Borgallet. Like, do something different.
0: Yeah, they look very similar in a way. I was... <laughs> this is, like, just my character type, is, like, the traumatized nervous character that's capable of things. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. We're going to get some deep, like, psychological stuff because Bodhi Rook is going to be reliving horrible memories or something. And then we never really got that. And that's very much, like, I'm sure there's fan fiction about that somewhere. But I wanted a little bit more of, like, the chance to get to explore his character more in the movie because that would have been a great chance for flashbacks or something, which would have... It would have messed with the flow a little bit, but it would have opened up the opportunity to tell more about that character and therefore about other characters. And instead, it like he was obviously jittery afterward, but it didn't really go anywhere.
1: Yeah, the bull Gullet thing was weird. Like it was obvious that it had more importance in a different version of the movie, and then it just kind of ended up sticking around in this version for some reason and it didn't really mean anything for Bodhi other than his nervousness and it was it was kinda weird. I wasn't fond of it. Just like the Rathars. I didn't really like it much. Um
0: yeah. yeah. And maybe actually that's why it was kept in, because it was a part of a larger plot, but then that was removed and then they felt like they needed to have or just wanted to have a monster scene still. So it kept it.
1: Yeah, and I think possibly it also alludes to, like, Saw being really untrusting and kind of having lost it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That he would, like,
0: that he would do that to someone or feel that he had to do that to someone shows how extreme he is.
1: Yeah, which I think kind of works because otherwise, when the Rebels talk about, when the Rebel Alliance talks about how extreme he is, then you're kind of like, is he that extreme? But I guess if he does go to having people's minds probed by a weird tentacled monster, that's that's pretty extreme.
0: Yeah, because then you've got him on one side of the extreme, and Mon Mothma and other senators on the other who just want to keep fighting the Empire in the government, and who don't want to go to war at all, really. They're willing to, but they don't want to. And then on the other side is Saw, and then in the middle is the Rogue One crew.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, I think that's about all I
1: have, yeah, same here,
0: okay, so we should be back in the next couple weeks, probably with another Pokemon episode, right? <laughs> I think yeah we said yeah, we're finally gonna get back to that. um, and so until then, you can check out our Goodreads page. I can be found at blogful of words on Twitter. I write for star wars insider, StarWars.com. dot com. Den of Geek, and uh, sundry things here and there. Asaph, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me on my own site, notsafwork.com, and I write for Toshi Station, and I podcast for other Toshi Station things, and also some Far, Far Away Radio things.
0: Fantastic. Alright, well, will see you the next fortnight, and don't forget to check the Western Reaches.